Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. And hello, Mike. Hey, Matt, what's going on? Not too much. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, We said before we went live that we're finally starting to turn a corner on this horrible uh, winter weather that we've been having for the last month or so. And uh, it seems like it's starting to turn to spring here. But as you might know, as you may know, from as someone who's from New York, never, ever, ever discount the fact that another winter storm can slam this state and Long Island in March. So I'm, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed and hoping, hoping that we're done and hoping, hoping that it's going to get warmer out. But uh, I'm still, you know, there's very wary. little snow left on my property, which is awesome. I'm really enjoying so that. Good. But as you said, March can throw at you an occasional snowstorm or two. So or, or April or April. Yeah. <laughs> Mother Nature, Long Island, New York weather. It don't discount it. Never, ever, ever, uh, never take it for granted. Absolutely. So, Mike, we are upon, we're about 15 or 16 episodes in here, and we are coming to a title today that I think, again, is different than the rest, that we all have some different genres from a specific time that is Mm -hmm. kind of lost in license hell. I think we're going to have fun with one today. So, Mike, I'll bring you the introduction, let you get into it. We are talking about GoldenEye, the 007 James Bond game from 1997, developed by Rare, published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64. Yeah, so GoldenEye, full disclosure, everyone out there, I'm going to be as nice and fair to this game as I possibly can be, but I don't like GoldenEye. Uh, I've never liked GoldenEye, and... I have, and just, I want to be, I want to be honest there to just let you know that I'm going to do my best here to, to talk about this game from an objective point of view, because uh, subjectively, I I do not, I do not enjoy this game. Uh, I think it's got some problems and I never liked it when it was big. Now I'm trying to not sound like a hipster there uh, just because, you know, it's not like, well, uh, everyone else likes it, but I don't, I, this is, I've said this on the podcast plenty of times. I am not a first-person shooter player. I've never really been a first-person shooter player. I've never enjoyed like a Call of Duty or any of the more first-person shooter, first-person shooter games. So when you ask me, hey, Mike, what's your first, your favorite first-person shooters of all time? It's always like Metroid Prime and Bioshock, which are both like not really first-person shooters or not nearly as much as this. But that being said, I think GoldenEye is a massively important game and definitely one that is important for us to talk about. Well, I think you've said in the past that you might have been spending more time at this time period on the PS1, PS2, that maybe Nintendo 64 wasn't necessarily your go-to console of choice. But coming from it objectively, I think we have to say, because this game was, I'd say, a surprise commercial success. The licensed James Bond game, this was not a guaranteed success. There was really no reason why this game should have been any good to begin with. And as you said, it might not be from a technical point of view or even the structure or the way the game is made. It might not be the best game, but people ran off with it. This became a huge success, whether the game was of very high quality or not. I think with GoldenEye and 
this is this is probably part of my issue with it. Goldeneye was something that really saw its success in the multiplayer. And this is when Nintendo at that point in time had kind of changed their philosophy on what they wanted to do with their home console. And Goldeneye, to me, represents kind of everything I didn't like with what Nintendo was doing at that time as a game. It was getting away from the longer, more story-driven, slower RPG adventure style stuff and really double, tripling, quadrupling down on the couch-based party game with the four controller ports in the front. So GoldenEye was like one of the first very, very, very important games to release that really focused on multiplayer to the point where I don't know how many people really played through the entirety of the story. Well, it's they so interesting. Play with their friends. It's so interesting you said that because this is something developers battle with even today is, you know, when every time they announce, oh, we're going to make more single player experiences, I feel like I rejoice because I feel like they feel like they can make more money if they release an online multiplayer game that people are not going to resell after they beat the, the story mode. And they can release DLC packs and those those crate type stuff that you're going to keep spending more money to try and get more things. These type of experiences N64 was playing with more multiplayer local experiences and less of the campaign. Like you said, I don't think I even played through the entire campaign of this game, maybe with cheats later on. Yeah, once you beat the game, you play through the game, or you can use some... There's This game has some cheat codes that allow, that are fun, to be yeah. perfectly honest. They are they fun. Are. They are fun, and you can unlock a whole bunch of stuff, and you know you can play a paintball mode. There's DK mode or big head mode, and there's a whole bunch of really fun stuff here that you can play. There's some there's some cheats where you can you know dual wield every weapon in the game. There are cheats that unlock more playable characters when you're playing in multiplayer. So this game's got a lot to it, and it really shines uh, as a multiplayer experience, and not <laughs> not really as a as a game that that plays or controls all that well. If you go back and play GoldenEye now, the controls are horrible. They're yeah, this, terrible. But this game, it, it helped you a lot with the aiming because it was very difficult to aim accurately. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of auto aiming going on here, but it did a lot of cool things that mm-hmm. I, I want to at least respect some of the cool stuff it did. So when you did hit an enemy, it had hit detection. So actually they would react and it's a joke now, but back then it was cool how they would react slowly and roll and you could shoot them and they'd kind of fall over or stumble based on where you shot them. Which is great. And that's one of the really great things about this game is that it does have more of that cinematic approach to it. It's weird when you take a movie that's maybe two hours long and you're trying to build an eight or 10 hour video game experience out of that. So this game needed to add more. The Famously, the first stage in GoldenEye or the second stage in GoldenEye. I forget what stage it is. I know one of the first stages is the bridge and then there's the facility Facility stage. Yeah, the facility stage is the second stage where you break in and you get that lovely uh, scene that everyone our age thought was the funniest thing where you could shoot people in the bathroom. At that point in time, you know, in the movie, I don't think that scene is that long at all. But in the state, in the game, it's, you know, maybe a, a, you can spend two minutes on it. You could spend five minutes on it. People probably just walked around shooting, shooting holes in walls and stuff for hours upon hours, you know, spending all this time in the stages. And what's also great about GoldenEye is that as a game is it allows you to easily go back and play each stage and each so you stage can really have fun with it. It's sort of like a sandbox. I mean, there are yeah. some of them, some of the actually the snow outdoor levels where it really is like a Mario Odyssey type 
sandbox level where you can go anywhere at any time. There's nothing holding you back from exploring. Some of them are more linear than others, but the level design for its time was interesting. As you said, it stuck to the film story, the plot. It was like an extended DLC director's cut version of the movie because it's four times as long to really play through slowly your first time. It's a six to eight hour, probably 10 hour experience. But you don't really get that from a lot of licensed games. A lot of licensed games, especially when it's based on a film, you get something that's very far from the actual product. Yeah, they have to cram so much more in there to make it a video game experience. I mean, we see this all the time. We saw this really heavily with like any comic book related movie uh, video game. Uh, you see it in like the original Spider-Man game for this. I'm sorry, not the original Spider-Man game, but the Spider-Man game that came out with the first movie. They added a bunch of stuff. The Spider-Man game that came out, Spider-Man 2 added a bunch of stuff that wasn't in the movie. GoldenEye definitely adds stuff, but it follows the movie story pretty... And it had the benefit of coming two and a half years after the movie. So a lot of times you're trying to deliver a game the same time a movie comes out. It's so hard for these developers to try and meet that goal. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny that they released GoldenEye 007 on, on N64 so far after the movie. Like this would have been something that it was like, no, it's a movie tie-in. You got to get it out right away. It actually tied in with Tomorrow Never Dies, which was the sequel movie, which is funny. Yeah, which, which came out later. And for me, and I was, this, this game came out when I was in, I was going into sixth grade. And because of that, every kid had this game any birthday party or, or whatever, any hangout, anytime you hung out with your friends, if there was two or more people there, there's a good chance that you played GoldenEye. And a lot of my friends that at that time, they would just refer to this game as Bond. Nobody called it GoldenEye across the board. And that even happened after I like switched schools and stuff. People just referred to this game as Bond. And it always drove me crazy because I was, I guess I was being a pretentious little jerk when I was like 12, you know, it's always like, but the game is called GoldenEye. It's like, no, no that's why, I, that's why I had my lunch money stolen. That being <laughs> said, but um, it's one of those things where it's like, everyone played this. Yeah, this, this was, this was, was the basic game. You went to your friend's house, you played in their den, you played in their basement and you huddled around a TV, which was not very big back in those days. If you had a 27 inch CRT, it was like legit. I've got a 27 inch CRT like right behind me right now. And, and when you split it within four heavy. screens, you're not getting much to look at. And this was almost started with watching where someone else's is, you know, you'd watch on their screen. Yeah. You got a screen look. I mean, come got on a screen look. That's yeah. what happened. So oh, where is he? Oh, I see where he is. I can go there and kill him. But we all played so much of this, even though oh. I didn't like it. Yeah. No, to. me too. It was like, you got suckered into it. It's like, you know, my buddies, my buddies love this game. And for me, it's fun, a few rounds, chain, playing different characters, different levels, different enemies, and, and different weapons, and, and even mines, and you can do fun stuff. But for me, it gets old in the fact that there's no progress. You're not cooperatively beating something together, or the, everything is the same. You're not leveling up. So for me, that type of experience gets old, but I can't tell you how many hours I was forced to play this game still. Um, oh, forget it. This game was honestly before and thank god for smash brothers i say that every single time because if smash brothers didn't come out two years later there's a good chance that we would have been playing non-stop goldeneye 007 until i don't know the gamecube maybe later than that because nothing really came in no. nothing came in and even got close like mario party came out and people didn't care at least my my friend group didn't care i cared i wanted to play mario party but it wasn't until smash brothers that this game like kind of left the the N64 for a lot of people. But then even still after that, if you go by sales, 
This was actually the third highest selling game, which means everyone had it. eight million copies. It outsold yeah. Ocarina of Time. Yeah. It outsold the big wrestling games, which were the other big multiplayer games at the time. It outsold yeah. Smash Brothers. The only thing that outsold this was Mario 64, which was kind of like the tie-in game. Everyone had it. And then Mario Kart, which I'd say was the other multiplayer game that can that rival this i mean mario kart's always going to be the top seller pretty much across the board uh for any nintendo based console and mario kart's always like it's like their biggest series uh people don't always realize that but mario kart's like the number one selling nintendo franchise which is why they release them fairly regularly uh and for nintendo standards uh, but goldeneye i mean it's remarkable this was rare at the top of their game this was rare doing rare as best as rare could do it and there's a reason why it's so successful. This game spoke to people. It definitely led like a James Bond like renaissance. I think I got into James Bond as a film character and as a film series because of this game and because people play James Bond so frequently, me being the nerd that I was, wanted to see where everything came from. So I would watch, I watched GoldenEye and I loved GoldenEye. I loved the movie when I was a kid. I, I loved GoldenEye. I watched the two game, the two movies that came out afterward in the theaters. I saw those because I was a fan. And then I would go back and go to the library of all places, right? Not even Blockbuster. I'd go to the library and rent like two or three James Bond movies at a time for like a buck each at the library and I watched like up uh, at like 12 or 13 or like 11 or 12 years old, which, you know, might be a little young for James Bond movies, but whatever. I watched most of them, you know, between when I was like in sixth and seventh grade, I, I ended up watching a lot of them. And to this day really do appreciate and get excited when new movies come out. And that's all because of GoldenEye. If GoldenEye wasn't as popular a game and I didn't play it all the time, I don't think I would have, actually ever gotten into James Bond and ultimately in the end where GoldenEye succeeds is that it's a fun fast easy to play it's very accessible it's super accessible it made first person shooting accessible on the console lever and and we've talked about Halo Combat Evolved which was the game that years after this I would say took it even further as far as the console multiplayer experience but this made it accessible for people that might not have been gamers who said oh i'll i'll jump in and play james bond that's a movie that i know it's not a a video game character yeah and this really showed that first person shooters can work and that's really where it's important james bond is james bond goldeneye 007 is super important because it's the real there were first person shooters on consoles before this i think you know, Doom and stuff had been ported to N64 or and maybe not N64 yet, but definitely Super Nintendo had some first person shooters. Sega Genesis had some, but GoldenEye was the first first person shooter to really, really succeed on a console that I can remember. And I don't think you have stuff like Halo without GoldenEye to the degree that Halo has become such a household name. Even Call of Duty and Battlefield, I think, owe a lot to GoldenEye. And this actually is credited with the first, now I'm putting quotes up all of our listeners can't hear, but realistic graphics because Doom and Quake in the series prior to this were more of a cartoony art style, I would say. And this had like this funny, blocky, almost photorealistic faces that they have on these characters. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not sure if they did anything with this game. I know in Perfect Dark, they took like actual human faces and like digitized them onto the characters. But I don't know if they did that in GoldenEye. But with GoldenEye, yeah, it was, you know, at the time, 
that was the most realistic looking thing ever. And, you know, I played through the campaign. I did everything. I played through all the missions. I got all the weird stuff where you get like, you go to like the Aztec stage or you go to space or whatever, and you get the, you get the Moonraker laser to throw some, uh, some love to probably one of the worst James Bond movies ever made, which is Moonraker or maybe one of the best depended on which type of James Bond you like. But like you, I was a huge James Bond fan growing up. And that was because of probably this game. And also my, my father had a took to the James Bond movies. So it was in, in my life. I watched all the old films and I followed the game series. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is this game is almost like a homage to all of Bond because when you play multiplayer, you have access to a full rogue gallery of characters that are not just in the GoldenEye movie. Yeah, exactly. So then when you go and you play, (laughs) when you play multiplayer, you can play as Jaws, you can play as Odd Job, you can play as all these different characters that were kind of part of the, of the fabric, right, of what James Bond was all about. And they continued to make James Bond games after this as well. And none of them came close. Yeah, it's so funny you say that. And that's something I wanted to bring up because I played them all. You know, some people might play every Final Fantasy, every Mario, every Zelda game, be like, they have to. I have to play every James Bond game that comes out because I'm just a fan of the series and I want to see what they do with it. And some of them have been okay, but nothing has commercially or even just done anything even close to what GoldenEye has done here. Definitely not. GoldenEye is the gold standard for a James Bond video game, even if it doesn't really feel like James Bond, right? It's kind of James Bond in name because James Bond, if you're if you're watching a James Bond movie, yeah, he shoots people, but like that's not all he does. Like James Bond is using tech and he's using gadgets and he's doing all this like spy related stuff. And there should be a lot of like dialogue. Like the, the things, the games that actually feel the most like James Bond would be like Hitman or Splinter Cell, maybe. Or Splinter Cell, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that feels more James Bond than Goldeneye, but I don't care. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things where it's like, this is the James Bond game. This is the one that every James Bond game will be compared to. And they even tried to recapture that with that Wii game. Yeah, it was it was like a remake had nothing to do with the original game. It was so completely different. Yeah, they did a they did a weird remake with Daniel Craig's likeness. Yeah, I think. Didn't they do GoldenEye like Rogue Agent or something? Yeah, and that also had nothing to do with the original game. They just tried to put that name in to try and recapture some of that commercial success. And they've tried to do remakes, but because this game is forever in license hell. It's it's this will never see the light of day. No, definitely not. And the issue here is that, well, one, you have Rare, right? Who's making this game? Rare used to work with Nintendo and now they don't. Now they only work with Microsoft and kind of, I guess, some Rare characters have shown up in Smash Brothers and things like that. Like there's, they're okay together, but they're Rare is part of Microsoft. And also James Bond, who knows what's going on with James Bond. The rights are always changing. MGM, this one, that one. It's always for sale. It's always been a mess. It's always been a mess. It's owned by one family. The Broccoli family owns James Bond, at least uh, has the rights to how James Bond is handled. But even in the 80s, there were two James Bond movies that came out the same exact year. One of them had the license or the right, and one of them didn't. So one of them is considered part of the franchise and the other isn't. And I can never tell you which one is which. It's it's one with Roger Moore and one with old Sean Connery. There's but- very few license issues out there that are more confusing than the James Bond situation. And this game was going to be remade for Xbox Live Arcade. It actually was almost complete. And then Nintendo said, no, we didn't approve that. We don't want our game being put on an Xbox console. And then a second time, 
Rare wanted to put it out in their collection and they got the no that sorry, not happening. No, I mean, because Nintendo published it right originally. So it's technically a Nintendo game somewhere down the line, um, though it is a very much a rare game. And that's the reason why I think Rare has continued to not obviously not work with James Bond and instead has turned their first person shooter game into Perfect Dark, which is right. essentially Goldeneye with a different name. Yeah, you had some successors. You had Perfect Dark, which was on N64, and then you got Perfect Dark Zero on the 360. And they went on to do Rare has gone some highs and lows. They're a roller coaster, but they've got, you know, the obviously the Banjo and Kazooie series. They did a really unique game on 360 called Kamiya, which I enjoy. I think it was a cute little yeah. uh adventure game. So they've gone some definitely some different places now because they can't play with the bond license anymore. No, they can't. And bond license is, is weird. Like we said, it's a strange license. It it doesn't, it's, I don't know. I've never, I think, I've Activision, never sure. I think Activision has been holding the title for the last decade or so. Well, Act, Activision did, did they make the, did they make the James Bond games? EA made a couple too. Didn't they, didn't they make like uh, agent under fire? Was that an EA game or is that it's Ubisoft? Agent under fire? There's bloodstone. I actually remember enjoying actually and having fun with, the world is not enough game. So EA was publishing Tomorrow Never Dies and The World is Not Enough, which was, again, movie tie-in games, as well as some original ones, Agent Under Fire, Nightfire, Everything or Nothing, and then Goldeneye Rogue Agent. Those were all under the EA EA banner. And I, as someone who like openly says I don't really like Goldeneye that much, I went on to play like the other games. Like right. I played, double, I played uh, Agent Under Fire. I sure. played uh, The World is Not Enough. So... Ultimately, these games, even on people who don't really like them, like myself, uh, these, this game had so much impact because it's kind of like, ah, yeah, definitely. I've wasted, I've played Goldeneye for, for hundreds of hours. Why not give the next one a shot? And what I liked about The World Is Not Enough is that you could play multiplayer on your own because you could put bots and stuff in there and really have fun with that. But ultimately, in the end, Goldeneye is a multiplayer experience. It's an amazing multiplayer experience. It yeah. is a lot of fun. If that wasn't there, I don't think this game gets a fraction of its success because like you said, the single player experience, and I think that's the problem, even though they've put multiplayer in some of the successors, it just never caught on like the multiplayer did on the N64, that local space. Even Activision's games, they did Quantum of Solace, Bloodstone, and they did the reimagining of the N64 game called GoldenEye 007, which featured, as you said, Daniel Craig. But the license is all over the place. These games are, as you said, sometimes one-off fun here or there. But you're not you're talking about millions of titles copies sold here. Yeah. And I really think that that GoldenEye is just really it. I think it's the best James Bond games have been. I think I don't think they've gotten close yet. Uh, I do think things might change when the team that makes Hitman takes over Bond, James yep. Bond. Yeah, I'm uh, very making, excited for that. I'm actually super excited for that. The new Hitman games from what I've played, and albeit it's very little, the new Hitman games are amazing. Uh, very, very good. Very cool, open sandbox style spy games. And then with the James Bond license, that could be great. That could be something that really reinvigorates and revitalizes this franchise that kind of hasn't really worked in... 20 plus years, 24 years. What I also think is an interesting topic is did this game reinvigorate the James Bond movies? I mean, did we create thousands and thousands of fans that said, oh, I need to see the next movie because of this game? And now James Bond is 25 or so movies. We got the new one we've been waiting a year for now. I wonder without this game, 
does the movie franchise somehow quiet down? You know, I, I can't tell you for sure, but I know that a lot of kids our age got into James Bond solely because of the game. This game, this game was like a multimedia cultural success. So many, so many of us rented GoldenEye, like not the oh, game, yeah. the movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you owned GoldenEye and you played GoldenEye, the game all the time, but so many of us rented GoldenEye on tape or bought GoldenEye on this, tape. And this was one awesome. of those rare mainstream titles that crossed over and I think influenced a lot of different stuff beyond the perfect dark series. I think this influenced some fun games like Time Splitters. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with the series, but Time Splitters 2, one of my favorites, very much feels like a GoldenEye homage. Yeah, and I think that GoldenEye as a console-based first-person shooter was massively influential and has continued to be massively influential. And definitely the Time Splitters 2 um, correlation is dead on to the point where I think that was part of like the marketing or like the back of the box quote. It's like GoldenEye for a new generation or something like that, which is great. And I think a lot of people might have bought Time Splitters 2 on the GameCube specifically because of that. Yeah, I think so too. And I just want to discuss some of the things that this game did that I think were special for its time and kind of get your feeling on it. There was definitely a good amount of NPC interaction and hostage and innocence that were handled in a first-person shooter type environment, which was kind of unique. Yeah, it definitely was unique and it's become a mainstay, right? It's become a mainstay of the, of the series and of the franchise. So it's definitely something that's become important. I actually like that about the stages where you had like these mission checkoffs that you had to go through and you had the dossier that you would have to read before you hopped into a mission and you had three different difficulty levels. So it was all sorts of stuff that stuck with the genre. Yeah. I mean, they had missions that were actually timed and mm -hmm. it's certain objectives that were timed and you actually had missions, which as you said, had multiple objectives. Usually you get to the end of the level you kill the bad guy you won here. You actually had to take a picture of a certain room you're in or set a, a explosive in a certain area. And it kind of gave it like that, I hate to say Mario 64, but it gave you multiple things to do in each sandbox. Yeah. And that was kind of what the trend was at the time. Uh, Super Mario 64 was really influential. Banjo-Kazooie would eventually also do similar things to GoldenEye where you had specific area, specific goals inside of a stage. It's like Banjo-Kazooie clearly, and the gameplay wise, these games couldn't be more different, but you could see where rare, definitely use some of their ideas from golden i'm like okay cool so we're gonna have them you got to put a mine here and you got to do this you got to take this document from here that philosophy is definitely used in banjo kazooie and even though banjo kazooie can sometimes be a bit of a collectathon it definitely has that feel that when you go into a stage there's a bunch of things that you can do before leaving the stage and you don't get kicked out when you make when you check off these these boxes or when you get these goals checked which is better for this tile game i think mario took too long to get there um, until you get to odyssey and now bowser's fury where it's one of those things where it's just like no let the player hang out on the stage for a while and try all these things and that's really special yeah the other thing i think they utilized is i think they utilized the license really well here i think you have the music of the game almost running on repeat throughout it which gives you a nice ambiance you have his watch is used as the menu system so anytime you go to the start menu he zooms in on his watch and it, it gives you again that interaction with the license. And then last, I want to get your feeling on some of the gadgets and weapons that they have in this game. Again, give you that James Bond feel. Definitely. Especially like shooting lasers out of your watch to like 
I forget what stage that is where you have to like cut the bottom yeah, out of like you're the on train, the train yep. train and you have to cut the bottom out of the train so that you can hop down and escape. But if you use all your watch ammo, you're screwed. Uh, so that was always fun. That was definitely a nice little touch that they have added uh, to this game where they could have just done guns blazing the whole time and people probably would have had no problem with it. But having stuff like watch lasers and any of these other fun gadgets that James Bond has, the proximity mines are always fun. The remote mines are always a good time, especially a multiplayer. And it's one of those things where it's just like, great. Uh, we could we could do all this fun James Bond stuff, but still keep it this fast-paced first-person right. shooter. Yeah, and sometimes um, you could probably attest to it more. So hard for them to get the actual music when they license these yeah. these these properties, and I think it gives it just so much more legitimizes the property in the game when you have the actual music playing. I think it's very important for James Bond to have at least the James Bond theme song. And I know a lot of us probably bought James Bond movie soundtracks at this point in time because we wanted to listen to the James Bond theme song with that kind of uh, that kind of like twangy surf guitar, just slightly out of tune guitar uh, on the uh, on the James Bond like famous James Bond spy riff that they play a lot, and uh, it's it's great. It's really great. This game definitely takes a lot of cues from the James Bond movies. It even gives you that very fun intro thing that happens in every James Bond movie where you have the circles go across and then you know you're looking down the barrel of the gun that's all very fun and great for for Goldeneye and uh Pierce Brosnan's likeness is all over this because he was James Bond at the time this was his first James Bond movie and he would go on to do three additional films none of which really live up to the success of Goldeneye really at all no I would actually say his last his last two even his final one brought the bond to some very bad areas where they actually had to reinvent the entire series because it got so out of hand. Oh yeah. So James Bond, by the time you get to die another day, die you're like, Oh, day. this movie's terrible. Uh, what happened to Goldeneye? And uh, it never went back there. It never got back to, to Goldeneye. And James Bond since then has been on a, wow, like a 20 year change. I mean, we didn't get another James Bond movie for, probably close to after die another day, probably like five or six years, maybe four or five years. I don't know the timeline perfectly, but at that point in time, the Bourne movies had come out. The mission impossible movies were starting to get better. And you have a James Bond who a lot of times likes to be, likes to be modernized to a degree. And I like Daniel Craig a lot. And I like his first James Bond movie quite, quite much. Uh, I think Casino Royale is actually quite good. But uh, clearly the influences had moved away from what made Goldeneye, both the movie and the game, so much fun. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they grounded things again. And that's what made Goldeneye so much fun is the some of these gadgets are not over the top. You have a laser from your watch. Okay, we all don't have that yet, but you can wrap your mind around it rather than die another day. They're using these satellites to shoot these beams down that are going to destroy the world. And <laughs> it's just sometimes smaller is better. So... I think the three things going against this game and what the surprise success was, one, it's a license. We've seen so many times how licenses are yeah. usually bad games, two, yeah. based on a movie. That almost never works when it's based on something that has is coming out. And then three, a first-person shooter on a console, again, doesn't usually work. So I think as much as we might not love replaying this game or even today, which it's almost impossible to play today unless you have an N64 and a cartridge, I think you have to admit that where it went right and the success is is truly unbelievable. It really is. And to look at the sales figures to see that this is one of the most 
like top, you know, it's a top three N64 game. While I perfectly believe it, never would I imagine some licensed game uh, from from a from a franchise that has always been in some sort of weird development hell to be as successful as it is. And GoldenEye really did a lot. It really was a trailblazer. I think a lot of games have done better than it since then. But without GoldenEye, I don't think more companies. I don't think as many companies would try out the first person shooter on a console. I think that it really just has that going for it as being like really the first one to really just nail it. And I know this sounds weird, but I think the uh, weird and wacky N64 controller lends itself to this because that Z button is in the right spot, you know, and uh, it's in the right spot. The trigger is in the right spot. So it, I don't know if it yeah, necessarily no, but feels for, like shooting a gun. No, you're, but, you're right, though. When you first look at that wacky N64 controller, you almost think, how is this going to feel right for certain games? But it does. It works. And those additional buttons that they give you coming off of the Super Nintendo, it, it, it lends itself to giving you a lot more opportunity as a gamer. Yeah, and I think because of that and because of the success of GoldenEye, the N64 ended up getting a whole bunch of first-person shooters. Uh, we had the GoldenEye. You had Perfect Dark, obviously. You had, you uh, got a Doom sixty four. Doom sixty four. Turok came out before that, but it Turok did. was a bit of a mess. But uh, Turok two, and you know, yeah, Turok two, and I think maybe even Turok three, which were really At popular. The time people honor them as good games, mm-hmm. and Turok one was prior to GoldenEye, and people said, "Oh, the controls kind of work for first person." And I think this was a little easier for people to to use, and I think some of the environments were a little better. Some of the Turok environments were just got all the same yeah yeah and uh, i agree with that and i think turok was kind of a something that was more influential by any than anything else it's a series that was very popular for a short period of time at that time and we really don't talk about it anymore now i was actually very surprised when they decided to re-release it a port of it on the switch i said why is anyone asking for this uh, there's, there's a lot of games that are happening like that now when they were like, hey, we're putting out the SpongeBob game. I'm like, that was a six when it came out. Right. There's a thousand other games I would rather than Turok and SpongeBob's pl- platformer. Even, even I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get too into like the Disney stuff, but like, I don't need to play the Lion King ever again. Like, right? they didn't need to do that. But that being said, well, I'm they left, that- they left out the good Aladdin. That's the problem. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> the the issue, the thing there though, but I'm happy that people have access to it. Yeah, I'm happy that people can play these games. From a video game conservation point, it's wonderful when the stuff can be brought back. Absolutely. And that's the problem with a game like GoldenEye is, will it ever see the light of day? Will anyone, like, like you said, we were 12 years, 11 years old playing this game and people are not going to be able to experience this game. And some people might actually still enjoy it today if they were able to play it. Oh, absolutely. I think people would. And I think people would still sit down and play four player deathmatch. I think that would absolutely happen without a doubt. Uh, or they would play like capture the flag or whatever. Or as, flag long tag. As, as long as everyone agrees not to be odd job. That's the rule, right? No odd job. No odd job uh, because odd job is too short to hit. That's why. And when this game. Yeah, odd job was short. So he was. It was hard to hit him. Yeah, it was hard. And especially when you have aim assist put in the game for all the characters that are about the same height when you have odd job it's like oh i have to aim down to shoot him but there was always someone in the group that would play as odd job oh yeah it completely broke the game but it's fine so yeah, of course that's like i think we 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 talked enough about goldeneye we we definitely did a good homage to the james bond classic what i'd like to know is what have you been playing what have i been playing lately okay so i got bravely default 2 
uh, just this past weekend. And I've been playing a lot of it. I probably already put like five or six, maybe seven hours into it at this point in time. I spent a lot of my Saturday playing it. It was, it's great. I love it. It's, it's very grindy. It's very simple. It's very much exactly what you expect it to be. Bravely Default is not changing anything. It's not, it's not really changing the formula at all. There are some fun additions that they add for battle where you can like use this battle systems to like get extra turns and, and get extra actions. That's what I found so interesting because I never got into the series and I downloaded the demo. I plan on playing it that you can actually take like two or three turns and then you actually, it skips your following turn, but it's like a gamble, you know, yeah. You're mm-hmm. very interesting on your classic JRPG. It is. It's very much Final Fantasy V. So pretty much what I gather happened was that when they made Four Heroes of Light, which was a DS game back, I don't know how many years ago now, it was an homage to games like Final Fantasy III and Final Fantasy V, the real Final Fantasy III for the Famicom, not the Final Fantasy III that we got in America. Which I, always, I always have to preface that because it's confusing. <laughs> so that, and then they orig- orig- eventually they ported Final Fantasy III to DS. So after that, the company that made that made uh, Bravely Default before they started making Bravely Default, this is all within Square Enix anyway, made a game called Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light, which is a game where, you know, you change job classes and it's very much inspired by Final Fantasy III. And that game was was fun. It was a little difficult and it was a little uh, punishing because you had like a limited inventory and you had all these things and it was, you know, it had its problems. But after that, we eventually got Bravely Default, which is a 3DS game that essentially uses the systems or the job systems of Final Fantasy V, where you have all your classic Final Fantasy job systems in this game, and you can mix and match and take abilities from all of them to kind of build and customize the team, your team to whatever degree you want to. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I love Bravely Default. I played a ton of it. It gets very repetitive at the end. It was very uh, grindy at, at, it, toy, it, at times. It definitely is very grindy at points, but after you beat like chapter four or five, it's like chapters like five, six, seven, and eight are all the same on purpose. You have to keep redoing the same thing over and over again. And it's super frustrating. And I don't know why they did it. And then they made a game called Bravely Second a few years later, which was also very good. Very, very similar. All about getting job classes and doing all that stuff. And I like that game a lot too. But Bravely Default 2 is a fresh new game. You don't need to play the first two games to play it. And it is a SNES era style JRPG with some modern visuals on top of it. If you're into job classes, if you're, if you like turn-based battles, if you like spins a spin on the turn-based battle system and how it operates, this game is excellent to play. If you're looking for something like that, the job classes are a lot of fun. It's great to mix and match. I'm already doing it. I'm not even that far into the game. I think Octopath Traveler from a functional combat standpoint does some things better than bravely default the brave and default systems where you you know you have multiple actions in a turn but then have to skip turns is fun or you like guard for a turn so that you can get more actions on a following turn that's all very fun but it gets a little strange sometimes because then it's like okay so what am i really doing here if i'm just skipping four turns in a row so that i can attack four times in one turn and then i have to skip two or three turns again like i don't always get what i'm doing where it's like an octopath and in triangle strategy which is a terrible name you gain extra abilities and extra actions every single turn you do like a basic action and then you can maximize later on but that being said uh, i love bravely default too i'm having a lot of fun with it awesome. um, there, there are some technical limitations that i'm seeing but uh switch is old we need a new one 
We, we definitely do. Well, we look forward to hearing more about Bravely Default too from you, Mike. I have been diving. I've been a little diverse in this last week. I have been continuing through Pikmin 3 Deluxe. I'm through like day 20 and I'm having a lot of fun. Just Love like it. last time, I'm just having a great time experiencing the story, the exploration, the combat. I think it's all great. I am still about almost 100% done with Bowser's Fury in 3D World. I'm trying to nice. get every nook and cranny of that game. And there's the, the 3D World game to 100% it. It's a lot of nooks and crannies. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big pain to, uh, to do that. And Champion's Road is not fun. It's brutal. It's, it is it's, brutal. It's really brutal. But what's been exciting for me is I got my PS5 last week and yeah. I picked up, you know, I, I kind of skipped the PS4 gen. I was more of an Xbox Switch PC guy. So now I'm trying to catch up on some stuff I missed. The first thing I jumped into was the Kingdom Hearts series. I got the collection and I'm playing through that. It's fun. I'm a big Disney guy. I enjoy the Final Fantasy action side of it with all those characters. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to playing some other PS4, PS5 games that I have not been privy to. There's a lot. There's a lot of PS4 and PS. There's a lot of PS4 games that are great. Uh, if you do have PS Plus, the PS Plus collection is is excellent because it's all free, uh, free in air quotes because you know you got to pay, pay whatever. Yeah, pay monthly. Uh, but I have PS. I have PS Pro or PS Plus because um, of the the free games and stuff they give out. But also because uh, I want to save my save files to the cloud, which has been incredibly helpful, uh, especially you know since i've upgraded to the ps5 but kingdom hearts is fun kingdom hearts is not perfect no uh, it's a mess of a story but it's a lot of fun i always had fun with it the narrative is a complete mess already i'm only probably two hours in i'm like what the heck is going on and the combat is not great i'm hoping it gets better as the series goes on right now i got my keyblade i'm just swinging about basically but it's 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 fun i'm definitely yeah. enjoying the Disney side of things and the environments and the world. I think narratively, as you said, it's a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a mess. And that kind that whole community knows that. So it's yeah. like, kind of like they love it because they love the, how wacky and ridiculous it is. I mean, look at the titles of the games. Once you get further on, it's, oh, like, it's insane. It's so weird, but yeah. I like it's That's what makes it great though. You know, totally, <laughs> totally, totally. So Mike, I want to once again, thank you for joining me on our Hall of Fame video game podcast. This is so much fun to talk about some of these old games, what made them special. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully I was as kind to GoldenEye as I possibly could be, because I know the problem with the situation in GoldenEye is me. You're not wrong about liking GoldenEye. I'm probably wrong about not liking it as much as others do. But that being said, I do believe it's very important and influential and I'm happy. We're better. The video game world is better because of GoldenEye. So it sure is. So for everyone out there, if you have it, boot it up, go into the facility, hide in the bathroom, vent, and come down and jump out on all those guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, Mike, we will see you next time. Where can people find you? You could find me all over the internet at the underscore Mike underscore Staub on Twitter and Instagram. And you could find my band at Bad Mary Band, pretty much all the same places. And I do another podcast called How About This, which you can listen to weekly. And that's on whatever podcast thing that you like. So you can check it out there. And as always, I'm here on the Hall of Fame video game podcast, which is a joy to do. Even when the games, even when they were talking about a game that I don't love, it's still the most fun ever to talk about this stuff. And thank you, Matt, as always, for having me. My pleasure. So in a rare moment here, I thought I would sing us out. And Mike, you can join me in. 
dun 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 From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.